Welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm sweating like absolute crazy. As if this is shocking to anyone, as if this is some sort of stark revelation. It's still spring, but it might as well be summer. Let's get one thing straight. If you know me well enough, you know I don't like the heat. Heat sucks. Get rid of it. Everybody's talking about, oh, you know, the sun could blow up and we'll be in the permanent winter. No, trust me, I would welcome that permanent winter. I like my cold. At that point, I could put a jacket on, listen to some Viking metal when it snows. You know, it's, it's a good time. Once it gets above, like, 60, 65, I'm done. Don't want it. Don't want it at all. However, the only thing that sucks about summer is it's also the time, my favorite time of the year, in terms of pop culture entertainment. For years now, uh, studios of, you know, television, film, more so movies than anybody else figure, well, it's the summer. Everybody's off of work. Well, not everybody's off of work, but a lot of people out of school. Work schedule's a little bit different. People go on vacations, but also people will do pretty much anything to not stay home and sweat to death. So, like me as a kid and growing up, I mean, we had air conditioning, but it'd be some times where we didn't. So, you know what? It's like, you know, you spend a couple of bucks, you go to the movies, and you get to chill out for a little bit. Get, you know, get your air conditioning, get your snacks, and you get to see awesome movies where shit explodes. There's lasers, there's special effects. It's always a good time over the summer. And it's funny, this summer, I had pretty much thought, I had already had it mapped out. There were two movies I was looking forward to this summer. Well, first and foremost, Avengers Age of Ultron and Ant-Man. The next two installments of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's an event, you know, it's hard to, there's no other word I can think of the first Avengers than it being an event. This is one of the first times you actually get to see a big team movie and done well it was one of the highest grossing movies of all time it's a huge deal so of course with all the other movies after the avengers and leading up to this one the hype for age of ultron a little hard to escape and there's constant news pouring in about who's going to show up oh yeah here's some you know exclusive scenes and this and this and well what happened was by the time Age of Ultron came out, I had already known so much about it, even from avoiding spoilers and just kind of surmising what would go on, a lot of the surprise was taken now. And don't get me wrong, I loved the movie to death, and it was a great action flick. If you love the Avengers, you'll love this. It's 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 really worth seeing on a big screen, but it was different from seeing the first Avengers where the newness was gone. We had already seen these people on teams, and we have already established these characters now where... You were in more of a comfortable groove or a comfortable place in mind, but it didn't necessarily mean it was bad. It's just that I kind of knew what I was going to get out of that movie coming in. It matched my expectations and exceeded on that point, but it's pretty much what I figured it would be. However, the one movie that I did not see coming that would blow my mind was Mad Max Fury Road. By the time this comes out, you probably have already heard about this movie. The, there was, briefly, when the movie first premiered, I believe it was in the UK, had a 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not that it's unheard of, but it's hard to hit 100%. Well, of course, now that the movie's gone wide, it, it dipped, I think, to about, what, 90%? I'm not exactly sure, but it's a big deal. And this is coming from someone who, while, while I watched the Mad Max movies growing up, I wasn't, like, this huge fan, so it's not like... 
I spend every weekend watching The Road Warrior, Mad Max, and Beyond Thunderdome, which is funny because Beyond Thunderdome, which is the least popular of the series, which, you know, that movie gets ragged on a lot for being a really terrible sequel. But yeah, it's the one that would always be on TV at like Saturday and Sunday afternoons in between baseball games or what other children's programming there would be. So, and it was also the basis for the popular video as a California love with Snoop Dogg and not Snoop Dogg. I'm sorry. It was Tupac and Dr. Dre. I don't think Snoop was in that, but yeah, it's funny. The the movie that people seem to like the least was the most influential. You know, that classic tagline, two men enter, one man leaves, that sort of thing. So I had heard for a couple of years that they were going to be working on another Mad Max. I was just kind of like, again, oh, here we go. They're going to remake or reboot or do a sequel to a movie that was moderately successful back in the 80s, but... This was different. George Miller, who, of course, directed all the other movies, was returning for another installment. And I didn't realize that this movie, I thought this movie, you know, was done, like, you know, shot maybe a couple of years ago. They finally released it. This movie had been in the works since, like, the late 90s, early 2000s. Matter of fact, uh, they were set to shoot in 2001, but it was postponed to the 9-11 attacks. After the attacks, the American dollar kind of took a bit of a nosedive, and... Last thing anyone was really trying to do was make a, you know, $100 million movie. Uh, just reading the backstory on this, it was pretty massive. There was the speculation as to whether or not Mel Gibson would return. And by the time Lethal Weapon 4 came out, and that was, what, 1998? It got to the point where Mel Gibson couldn't do scenes where he's running down a flight of stairs without having to do a stunt double. Yeah, no one wants to see, unless the story called for an older Mad Max, but there was the rumor that George Miller wanted to keep Mel Gibson on, but in a way wanted to recast him for a slightly younger, uh, more nimble version of Max, because by the time Mel Gibson's going to do this movie and what was going to be the early 2000s, he's kind of getting on in years. And some actors have gotten away with being older and doing action movies, you know, like Bruce Willis in a Die Hard series, but uh, look what happened there with the last two. So clearly, not a good idea. Then in 2003, they were set to shoot again in Australia. <laughs> However, there were security concerns and travel being what it was at the time, it's a little rough. Not to mention, you also have the Iraq War, which is raging during this era. Again, not really a good time to be making a movie overseas. So you're asking yourself, well, what happened with Mel Gibson? Ultimately, I personally feel that after Mel Gibson kind of lost his mind during... What year was that? That was... Early 2000s where, you know, he get, got pulled over and he was shit-faced drunk and he went on this insane, profanity-laced, anti-Semitic rant. And Mel Gibson, let's be honest, not a lot of people want to see him in movies anymore. The last two things I've seen him in is, like, Expendables 3 and, like, Machete Kills. And, yeah, he played, you know, good psychopaths or good killers there. It's going to be hard to see him in the role of a hero and... It's strange how much that bad publicity, but it wasn't even just the, the arrest that went. You know, he had a very ugly battle with his then ex-wife and, or his then girlfriend, or I believe it was actually his wife. And there was the recorded phone conversations where he's using all these other slurs too. And yeah, Mel Gibson, a little, little unhinged. Well, we all kind of knew that coming in because if you've actually watched, let's say the first two Lethal Weapon movies... There's good acting, and then there's just being crazy and just knowing how to tap into it. 
because Mel Gibson was on some other shit. I'm not saying that people can't be good actors, but his level of psychosis in that movie, it seemed less of a knowing how to just read a situation than maybe he's tapped into this a lot more than we think he is. But at that point, you know, it, it looked like George Miller was probably going to move on without him. Though, even though the Iraq war was going on, Mel Gibson still was attached to reprise his role. Granted, he lost interest after the production was canceled. So again, this is now 2006, 2007, and there's still no Mad Max. And I'll read this excerpt. Miller was also developing an action-adventure tie-in video game based on the fourth film, along with God of War 2 video game designer Corey Barlog. Both projects were expected to take two to two and a half years, according to Miller, with the release date of either 2011 or 2012. Fury Road was going to be produced at Dr. D Studios, a digital art studio founded in 2008 by Miller and Doug Mitchell. And around the same time, Tom Hardy was in negotiations to take the lead of Max. And at this time, and this is what I remember, that Charlize Theron would have a major role in the film. Now, at this point, Tom Hardy has been in some decent number of films. I mean, of course, he was in Inception, Christopher Nolan, The Dark Knight Rises, also Christopher Nolan, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen that, I definitely recommend that to you. So Tom Hardy, while not necessarily a huge megastar, but pretty popular, doing two high-profile movies for Christopher Nolan at the height of his movie-making prowess, yeah, that'll put you on the map. But it seemed to me that Charlize Theron was talked about more because at this point, Charlize Theron has been around for quite a while. She's a, she's a name, you know who she is. And I'm thinking to myself, how cool would it be if Charlize Theron was in a Mad Max movie? Because it was kind of against type. Now, I mean, she did the movie Monster, where, you know, she really, really, like, the, the makeup on that movie is just fantastic. Like, you, she's almost unrecognizable. So seeing her do a Mad Max movie, it was pretty cool. So now we're going to 2014. Uh, San Diego Comic-Con, George Miller said he designed the film and he was storyboarding before even writing a screenplay and working with several storyboard artists. He wanted the film to be almost a continuous chase with relatively little dialogue and to have visuals come first. So for the people who are commenting on Fury Road saying that it's like one long chase, well guess what, that was exactly the point. Now I don't necessarily want to rehash the whole plot of Mad Max Fury Road because I'm not here to necessarily retell you the story, but I'm gonna give you my thoughts on it. And be prepared, there's gonna be spoilers, you kinda should know about it that by now but there's always the one person who oh i listened to this podcast that was completely dedicated to this movie and you spoiled it yeah i'm not getting involved in that mess so you've been warned let's start talking characters first though before we get into the overall gist of the movie i hate to say it but there was that whole backlash where these quote-unquote men's right groups were complaining that mad max was being taken over by women and it it was just it should be a man's movie and let's get it right off the bat this definitely was not a Mad Max movie. I mean, yes, it's Mad Max in name, and the characters in it, and, you know, we have a bit of a backstory because he's clearly tortured by the death of his daughter, as well as other people he had supposedly been trying to save but didn't. However, he was the viewpoint character in this movie, but I don't think he's the main character. And, of course, calling the movie Mad Max, there's definitely some brand recognition. But let's be real, this is definitely Furiosa's story. So, at this point, Furiosa is a Imperator 
who drives a rig called the War Rig in order to collect gasoline for this maniacal ruler named Morden Joe. By this time, you get the impression that because of the nuclear war that turned everything into a wasteland, there are people who have massive health defects. I mean, you have people with, you know, giganticism, like, and some of them are kind of unspecified, but there's a lot of mutations here. Not just of a physical sense, but also a mental sense. And kind of like in the other Mad Max movies, civilizations just sort of reverted back to its base level where some people are well-adjusted, others have turned savage, and some of them are even just downright feral and cannibals at this point. But much like the other Mad Max movies, and this one in particular, is clearly a story about survival. And here you have Joe, the slaver and the ruler of the small little kingdom he's built for himself, using people as property for his own wealth and gain. And if you, you see this guy, like, I mean, there's people with pasty skin, there's boils, and just... This nuclear war has clearly ravaged everybody, but this guy has found a way to amass this just wealth and fortune, and to have people believe that he's less of a ruler than he is a god. At this point, his rule is almost kind of like a very just... It's, it's a very strict religion. And you have the war boys who feel that their death, like their death, like they're almost, they're almost kind of like in a way Vikings where their, their mission is to die for what they consider a worthy cause. And at that point, they'll be rewarded and go to Valhalla, which they refer to quite often. Needless to say, everybody here is pretty screwed up. But there's one war boy in general, and this was a character who I actually really liked in this story, because you have character Nux, played by Nicholas Holt. Some of you might remember him from X-Men First Class, as well as Days of Future Past. He was the one who played the Young Beast. I, he was almost completely unrecognizable. Like, I recognized him, but I didn't know what he was from. But it's like, holy shit, this is clearly not the same kid from X-Men. He's this kid who's so intent on proving himself. Like, he wants to be more than what he is. Matter of fact, at one point when Joe is leading the caravan, like he's in one of the other vehicles and he calls up to Joe and Joe looks over at him and Nux is in tears. Like he looked at me like he's he sees this man who's pretty much just a crime boss and a slaver as his God. So when he turns and addresses him, he is completely besides himself. Like he he's he reacted in a way like a fan would see like their idol. Like it's like he's just completely besides himself. And, but then you, you get the impression, like, how did this man even get this far? And the reason why I say it's more Furiosa story is because this movie pretty much just, I mean, yeah, we get a little bit with Max, but this is really her story because as her job, she pretty much commands a small army of her own. Like, she's right up there with Imperator Joe in terms of the command she has. The job was simple. Take her war rig, which is heavily armored with guns, ammo, just uh, this massive badass truck, and then to head to Gasoline Town. Or sorry, they call it Gas Town. So, of course, the caravan's headed there. Things are going great. Then right off the bat, she decides to take something of a detour. And while Max is imprisoned, and he's used as what they call a blood bag, so they basically... You get a syringe, <laughs> to get a tube, and then basically tap him into the sick uh, war by Nux, who's just using him as an IV at this point, because he's just insanely sickly. But you find out that Furiosa, she's diverting from the path, not because, you know, she was told, but you find out she's actually storing the multiple wives of Joe. 
And what's so special about them, they're not just any ordinary women. Like, these women are, like, immaculate compared to a lot of the other people. And, you know, everybody's just kind of, like, you know, sun... They're pretty much, like, sun-soaked. You know, people are just really just raggedy and dirty. But these women kind of look... And it was almost a little hard to believe, but these women are pristine. And it turns out that Joe had selected them strictly just for breeding purposes to breed his successors. So they're stored, they're stored in his rig. So Furios's entire plan is to get the women out and to then take them to what they consider the green place. Joe finds out, flips out, so he sends his rig, every car and vehicle, including the truck that's fitted with a wall of speakers and the dude playing a fire-breathing guitar, who might actually be my favorite character in this entire movie because during this whole time in his caravan, <laughs> like, there's there's entire battles going on. Cars are crashing, people are getting impaled, severely injured, there's explosions, and this dude is bungeed to a... <laughs> a truck along with the wall of speakers and it's his job and along with a bunch of drummers in the back to play music like as much as joe is supposed to be a terrible character how cool is it that <laughs> like can you imagine just driving around and having another vehicle falling behind you of a live band playing your music and i wish it wasn't attached to such a despicable character because i'm thinking to myself man i would totally love something like that and then depending on what I was in the mood for, like they'd switch it up because his is just like this driving guitar metal war music. And yet me, I'm like, you know what? Maybe I want to hear some like Bell and Sebastian or, you know, do you guys know any cover songs? Yeah, just, just, just something, just something minor. I don't, I don't want to drive and get like a massive headache from this loud music. But the story itself, it, it's, there's so much to talk about here because like I said, Nux was a great character because he starts off as being very much, of course, pro-Joe. <laughs> Like, he's willing to die for this man, but for some reason, every time he goes to do so, his life is spared. And then, after, of course, publicly embarrassing himself in front of Joe and having him make this remark to him, he realizes that his life is meant for more, and he's he's he has a hard time, Like and he's just really just... He, he then finds out that his path isn't necessarily to, to die for some despot, like... He can actually do some good here, so when he starts out as this, you know, henchman in a way, but... You see his growth and him really redeeming himself by joining Furiosa's crew and helping them escape. Max in of himself because Max starts out this movie basically looking out for himself. Like, he wants to get free. He's tortured. He's playing the, oh, I'm doing things on my own, blah, 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 lone wolf in it. And you get the impression that story probably would have continued that way where he's not helping Furiosa necessarily out of any obligation, but, you know, it's his guilt. Because here you have a, a group of women who are trying to escape a madman. And he's constantly being tortured by the death of his daughter. So it's like, shoot, you know, whereas he felt that he let her die, you know, he couldn't possibly leave them. So there was a, a really interesting motivation there. But like I keep saying, this really is Furiosa's story. Because here's a woman who, at this point, pretty much had everything. They didn't look like too many other women in charge. But yet... She's got this army, they're following her world, and she's this total badass who has these, the equivalent of, like, Full Metal Alchemist auto mail. Like, I wonder if there's, like, a Winry there. Like, does she have, like, her own mechanic that builds her arm? She can pretty much do anything, but yet is willing to sacrifice her place for something greater and to save everybody else. And it's... The, the movie does such a great job of just conveying the desperation of this mission. Because here you are, 
driving across barren wastelands. And while, of course, there is, you know, gasoline, but she was originally going to then just barter for her. But then you're, you know, low resources, very little ammo, very little food, and just trying to save somebody. And which, in a way, like, their situation was hopeless. Because the odds of Joe and his caravan pulling up to them, they were constantly nipping at their heels during the entire movie. And yet, just to then persevere and to just go, like, it's, it's, I, you know, there are a few movies where I really feel the cause of the people involved. Like, yes, and like, let's say The Avengers. I get it. They're going to save the world. But, and again, these are a movie where you have a suave talking robot and another robot who's made from an AI who flies and shoots beams out of a gem in his forehead. But this one felt far more believable because this is a big budget movie, but there are so many practical effects. Like, there was some CGI and some computer effects, but most of this movie is just so beautifully shot. Having that lack of special effects or the overuse of special effects, it grounded everything in a way that you needed to feel great. Like, you'll feel that this movie is, you know, post-apocalyptic. I mean, there's no zombies and there's no, like, empty, you know, landscapes. But, I mean, there's empty landscapes, but they're not like the, you know, the, the depleted buildings that you often see in a lot of other movies. It's just acres and acres of just barren desert. And yes, this movie is one long chase scene. Things are in constant motion, and even if things are staying still, there's still a sense of urgency to it. But considering the fact that by the time we get to Mad Max Fury Road, whereas other movies this summer have already been pretty much just on display 24-7, like, we already know a lot about Jurassic World, and we know a lot about Ant-Man, and... And especially the new Fantastic Four with all the controversies involved. We know a lot about these movies. Mad Max Free Road just sort of came by surprise. There wasn't much in the way of aggressive advertising for it. Yeah, I saw some posters, you know, and some stuff online about it. But there definitely wasn't a heaping amount of marketing that I saw for this movie. It took a lot of people by surprise. And everybody keeps saying this shouldn't have been that good. And I almost have to agree. Not that I said I was gonna, thought I was going to suck or anything, but I definitely did not know that this movie was going to be as impactful as it was. Like, I felt for these characters. Like, I felt for Furiosa. I felt for Nux. And even the, the slaves that Furiosa was trying to transport to safety. Now, with all that said, to tell you the truth, I was very underwhelmed by Max. Like I said, he's at this point what they call a viewpoint character, where you're seeing the story kind of through his point of view, necessarily, but he's not really the main character of this film. And in a way, I'm almost glad for that, because not that I don't think Tom Hardy can carry a movie, I just don't think he really had enough to go on, and I think his backstory felt a little shoehorned, and in a way, you kind of didn't need it. Like, I understand he's been driven insane by loss but i understand everything else in this movie was over the top but how they portrayed that was almost laughable at times and it really didn't lend itself at least not to me to really make you feel for the character it's like okay here's a hallucination we get it but they kind of really just they really just drove it home to the point where it became and i hate to say this became a little annoying like there wasn't much else to do with the character, so let's throw in the story about him being upset because, you know, 
His family is gone. And we've seen that in so many other movies before. Like, I felt like there was a missed opportunity to get him to maybe get them to do the character just a little bit differently than they normally do. Like, anybody could have been Tom Hardy's character. Like, heck, I mean, if it weren't for the fact of all the physicality, maybe you could have had Mel Gibson for it when he's not being an anti-Semitic loser. But <laughs> but I, I, I digress. Charlize Theron, like, the, 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 the badass female thing is not necessarily overdone, but this one, it felt believable. Like, this wasn't like a studio trying to make a character that they figured they could market and be like, oh, people really like, you know, these types of, you know, women in action movies. But no, like, she was a living, breathing character with motivations and fears and desires. And it's just, it was, with a movie that was essentially one long chase scene, there's a lot of character development that movies that have far less pacing have yet to do. And that's, it's just remarkable to me how much they've managed to do in such a short hour, like such a short time in this movie. Like George, like the vid visuals alone were breathtaking. So like, I, I feel bad that I didn't see this in IMAX only because, oh man, those, those wide shots must've been breathtaking. And there was a lot of story though. I will say not necessarily a complaint, but there definitely felt like there was some story missing. Like, I, I really would have liked to see more of Joe's empire and a lot of the other people behind it and how this man even rose to power. Because from the looks of things, the dude really wasn't controlling much. But I, I guess he gets someone with enough resources and enough desperate people. I mean, he could pretty much just fashion any sort of rule at that point. Because the fact that here we are, you have scores of people who are starving and are malnourished and who are probably dehydrated. They're flocking and he's like, oh, he's going to do it. And then like he flips a switch and all of a sudden like water starts shooting out of the wall and like people are getting doused and collecting buckets or whatever. And then he turns it off just as soon as they're starting to collect. And he basically tells them to not get used to the water like to not trust it and it's how fucked up is that where you have that you know you're basically controlling people's resources and to have these women that are just used as breeding machines or then have others hooked up to machines just for their their breast milk and it's just like wow like and you, and you get the impression like how is this man even able to do all this and how did anybody stick around as long? Because, I mean, the, the sickly war boys were clearly just disease and, well, much like Nux, a lot of them are dying. But yet, of course, they feel like following this guy that their lives will be worth something. And I guess if when you're in a post-apocalyptic society, that does seem to be a common trope where someone with enough, or someone with a lack of scruples, mind you, will take everybody's desperation, then use it as a, a means to an end. I mean, if that isn't horrific, I don't know what is. This really is the, the, the movie to beat this summer. I absolutely loved it. My only wish is I, I wish there was more time to get into this, this universe that George Miller has built because it felt like the same world from the original Mad Max series, but it was done in this very hyperkinetic, almost in a way like this is what Crank or maybe even Ghost Rider should have been. You know, this just very just fast moving over the top, but with heart though. And that's hard, to, and that's difficult to do because most summer movies, they'll sell you the action, they'll sell you the spectacle, but it's kind of paint by numbers. Like, you know what's gonna happen. You know that, you know, you pretty much already know who's gonna live, who's gonna die, and everything in between. But this movie, I'm watching, and I had to go to the bathroom because I bought this large soda, which I'd managed to douse because I was like sweating to death. 
But full disclosure, I wanted to leave, but I, I couldn't tear myself away from the screen. I couldn't stop watching, and it just, I wanted more. I want to see more of it, and to tell you the truth, well, I know they said the next movie would be called Mad Max The Wasteland. I'm really hoping that they just continue Furiosa's story, because to me, she's a far more well-rounded character than Max. But we, we were told her backstory, but it's really, I just want to see more of that. And I think she was a fantastic character. And it's, not a, it's no surprise that I've been seeing a lot of fan art for her. Especially on Twitter. And that's something that needs to be commended is that this movie kind of came out of nowhere. And, I mean, yeah, there's some negative reviews for it. But most of those reviews have been overwhelmingly positive. Like, George Miller has done what's relatively unthinkable. Make a summer movie that makes you care and makes you think. But at the same time, does deliver those summer movie style thrills. And I can't wait. Cannot wait to see it again. After seeing this, and especially after seeing Mad Max and Ex Machina, another breathtaking movie, these are the kind of things that I feel maybe Simon Pegg was talking about when he made all those remarks about how genre film, like especially in terms of sci-fi and fantasy, I guess the, the downside to them, but at the same time, it's like, look, you can bash these types of movies all you want, but... There's, I feel there's still plenty of people who are willing to advance the genre in some way. But that's my two cents. What is yours? Like, I want to keep the lines open. So I actually have a feature on the show called AHI Mailback or Agent Has Issues Mailback where you guys would send me emails or tweets uh, before the show and then I'll read them on, you know, read them on the podcast whenever I do like a mini episode or any like of the solo run because there's so much more about this movie I want to talk about and maybe I'll do like a little bit of an addendum later on once I see it again because I mean I'm basically going off my first impressions but I really want to see it again and get deep and look at every intricacy so I will definitely be revisiting this at some point and I hope you all are down for that because to tell you the truth I don't think I can shut up about this but before I go, Chris Revel, really awesome dude. He's been on my show. I've been on his. Um, we actually did a crossover with Ignoring Movies a couple weeks ago. I got to get that episode posted. I've just been really super busy. But he had sent me an email a while ago basically saying, I love your podcast, and that is all. Keep up the great work. And Chris, keep up the great work. And definitely check out his podcast. Let's chat with Revel and friends. So what are your thoughts again? I should tell you the email, or you can tweet me at at Adrian Has Issues on my Facebook at facebook.com slash Adrian Has Issues. I'm also on Gmail at Adrian Has Issues at gmail.com. Uh, you can search for um, Stitcher, iTunes. I'm on Instagram. But basically, hit me up. I want to talk to you guys. What do you felt about this movie? Should this have been a Furiosa movie? Do you think Max could have done more? Do you also think that was this movie as every bit worth the hype that they say it is? Because, well, I'm going to be the first to tell you, uh, yeah, it most certainly was. You bet your ass it was. <laughs> but again, it's this show is fun, but I always want to have a conversation. I love the dialogue, so please, please hit me up. And if you're on um, iTunes or Stitcher, please leave a five-star review and maybe even leave a little blurb because the best part about the show is the more people star and review... It becomes easier to find a show in a program, and it opens it up for more people to find it. So, definitely do me solid there. I'd really appreciate it. And again, this will be part one. I want to definitely do a part two, and once I see it again, I'm going to be back with some more other impressions. But for now, this will do it for Minisode number five.